1: What is going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Wisconsin Sportsman Podcast brought to you by Tacticam. This is your home for all things outdoors in the Badger State, and I am your host, Josh Raley. Thank you so much for tuning in this week. We've got an excellent episode in store for you today. I'm talking with Adam Kaufman from Free to Prowl Outdoors. Adam is a super interesting guy. He made the decision a while back to stop pursuing a life of stuff and start pursuing a life of adventure And that has led him to sell everything he had, basically, and uh, live in his truck right now. And what this has allowed him to do is uh, spend the last couple of years having adventures that the rest of us just dream of. Uh, Chasing stuff out west, chasing elk out west for like 45 days last year or something like that. This summer, he's going to spend the summer in Alaska. He's getting ready to leave here very, very soon. Uh, Yeah, just lots and lots of cool stuff. Uh, so excited for you to hear this episode. I am gonna keep this introduction pretty short today. I'm closing on our new home tomorrow and uh, what that means is I've got a lot of stuff to do today. So gonna wrap this up pretty quick. but before we get into the episode, I do want to take a moment to thank our partners. First of all, Tacticam, title sponsor of this show. Uh, I am actually holding right now a couple of uh, Tacticam Reveal X Gen 2 cameras. Uh, holding them in my hands I'm getting ready to break these bad boys out of the box and get them into the woods really excited about some of the awesome features on this camera the one thing that I'm most excited about I think is the request video from app feature so what you can do with this instead of just settling for uh, still frame photos from your app uh, delivered you know straight to your phone you can actually request videos from your phone which you're you're, you know you're like me and you really like to uh, run all of your stuff on video mode that is a huge huge pro you can find them www.tacticam.com or www.revealcellcam.com next up huntworth these guys are making great hunting clothing at a great price point their patterns are awesome i'm gonna be uh, running the tarnin pattern like i've said uh, i've been wearing their lightweight gear this summer uh, I've mentioned that before. You guys know I'm a big fan of the Durham lightweight pants. They're a great combo uh, for summer chores, putting cameras out, making mock scrapes, digging water holes, whatever it is that you're doing. These pants are going to keep you cool. They're going to keep you dry, and they're super, super durable. Go find more from them over at HuntworthGear.com. And last but not least, Deer Lab. This is the number one trail camera management software for hunters and land managers. If you want to learn more about Deer Lab and all their great features, You can go back and listen to an episode I did a few weeks ago with uh, the co-founder of Deer Lab, John Livingston. Uh, I'll be sharing more on this in the coming weeks, but for now, you can give Deer Lab a try for free, and uh, when you're ready to buy it, because I know you're going to be ready to buy it because it is awesome, you can use the code WISCONSIN, all uppercase, for 20% off of any of their plans. Now, with all that out of the way, let's jump right into the episode with Adam Kaufman. All right, for this episode of the Wisconsin Sportsman Podcast, I've got Adam Kaufman of Free to Prowl on the line. What's going on, Adam? How's it going, Josh? Thanks for having me. Yeah, man. Thanks for coming on. I appreciate it. Uh, I've had several people tell me so far that I need to get you on the podcast, uh, including our mutual buddy, Matt Strime. And man, I drugged my feet. That took too long, and I, I kept thinking I'll get around to it. So this conversation is a long time coming. And uh, glad we could make it work this evening before you jet off to Alaska in 30 days or something.
0: Uh, yeah, well, I leave here next Monday, but yeah, I'll be there for over, oh, just over a month. And then uh, that kind of goes into the rest of my fall. So yeah, driving to Alaska. So uh, just, uh, I got a, kind of an awesome opportunity out there uh, to work with a guy. Um, he's a salmon, he's a commercial salmon fisherman. Um, does that in the summer, but by trade, he's a teacher, he's a teacher in sun Prairie. So he's been doing this for, so I don't know, 10, 15 years. I met him through a a buddy and became friends with him and his brother to the point I hunted with his brother last year out in, uh, Montana for elk. So just, uh, had a position to get on his boat and, uh, gill net salmon with him. He needed a deckhand and I have some experience working on the water. So, said, I, uh, I have a pretty flexible schedule. I will come up there and experience Alaska and experience the whole deal. So. Dude,
1: what a gig, man. It's like, yeah, I teach during the school year and then I head to Alaska and gill net salmon all summer. That's a, uh, it,
0: it, it's a, it's a cool deal. Like when COVID hit and the schools in Madison shut down and they were going virtual, they literally packed the kids in an RV and they RV'd it all the way to Alaska. And I'm like, man, Matt, like your kids are going to, they are going to remember that. Most kids are going to think like, Oh, COVID sucked. Right. Your kids are going
1: to be like, we had the best time ever. You know, (laughs) we wish we wish COVID was always around. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) But yeah, so he's, yeah, I'm thankful to have the opportunity.
0: It's kind of like a working trip, but we're going to do some caribou hunting up in the Arctic circle. His brother's flying in from Wisconsin as well. And we're going to caribou hunt up in the Arctic circle middle of August and, uh, just, I can't pass up the opportunity to just get out there and experience Alaska
1: driving the whole way, taking my rig and it's going to be a adventure, living for the adventures. Very cool, man. Well, let's, uh, let's start it off like this. Why don't you tell the listeners, uh, who might be familiar with you? I mean, you've been on a couple of other shows and for some of those, I I knew I was going to have you on at some point. So I intentionally did not listen to some of those shows because I wanted things to be fresh And I wanted my, Mm -hmm. my curiosity to be genuine. So, uh, why don't you tell us who you are and what you do? So Adam
0: Kaufman, free to prowl outdoors, uh, kind of started as a, a passion about, I don't even know how long it's been four years ago. Maybe, uh, just got into self-filming hunts and self-taught videographer and wanted to start a YouTube channel. And obviously what comes along with that is the rest of the social media aspect of it and I've just had fun producing content, uh, for people that, you know, helps them teach and explain situation and situations and, you know, pass on what I know and just, they can kind of live vicariously through me through some of the adventures and the videography. And then, um, you know, hopefully it, it, it motivates them to get out there as well. Um, you know, I'm a DIY hunter DIY fisherman, not saying there's anything against, you know, going with guys or anything like that, but I just, there's so much, reward trying to figure something out struggling a little bit and then then figuring out so just trying to motivate people to get out there and you know explore public lands and uh you know enjoy the freedoms we have in this country too you know and then the great system we have as far as public lands and our and our wildlife conservation mentalities. just motivating them to get out there that's kind of the goal of free prowl
1: man where where did your uh i guess your love for adventure and the outdoors come from because like I don't know. I just, I just look around me today and it seems like folks who are of your ilk are kind of a dying breed. You know what I mean? And, and we've, we live a, such a a sheltered life, such a, an indoors life. Uh, where did, where did this come from?
0: You know, uh, I've always had a passion for the outdoors. I've never really, I've never really straight out of college. Um, I went to school at Milwaukee school of engineering for construction management and right out of college, I got a job working on a big, um, interchange down in Southern Illinois. And I've never ever since then really lived by anybody else. So I was always forced as far as hunting and fishing went to, you know, I never lived by my friends and family. So I was just forced to kind of figure stuff out by by myself. Uh, kind of motivated me. You know, I did a lot of, I lived in the, I, my original job, um, before I decided to up and, uh, upend everything and change my life was, uh, in the Marine construction industry um before that it was road construction so i i spent a lot of time in western wisconsin trying to figure out the whole duck hunting thing and and hunting thing out there and that's what kind of motivated just just trying to you know get out there and grind to try and make stuff happen and i learned a lot doing it and then actually i the sense of adventure started uh, i had a harley and a couple years in a row we took our harleys out west and just Nine days straight, just rode, you know, Yellowstone, Grand Tetons, um, just just explored the West, explored the mountains, camped the whole time, and just had fun. And that's kind of where the where the idea came from. So I kind of melded those two things, and now yeah, I set my truck to live out of. It's uh, it's a fully functional truck, fr- fridge freezer. I have a full like twenty three inch editing monitor for my videos. Uh, auxiliary battery, solar power, um, can charge my batteries also off the alternator, cooking setup, everything. And I just kind of usually fall um, some summer adventures and some winter ice fishing adventures, just live out of the truck full time.
1: Yeah, so I, I got to know where that where that piece came from. Like what made you decide like, yeah man, living out of the truck is the thing that I want to do?
0: Um, So I lived in the very southwest corner of Wisconsin, beautiful area, and I worked for a company in Dubuque, and I had kind of just—I don't know—not, not that not I—I I wasn't happy with the job, but I was just kind of after ten years of doing a lot of work for the government, and just kind of had, was burnt out and felt like I, you know, I had this passion, I had this skill for, you know, making videos and making quality content that if, if I could just apply myself and live out of the truck and maybe change the way i lived um it would suit me better make me you know just live a better life right live for the adventures rather than things got toys, and i filled a i think a six yard dumpster full of stuff that i had purchased over time but i'm like well if i'm not going to use it on the road and i haven't sold it yet i'm getting rid of it right And that just kind of proved to me like i can live more efficiently and experience more things rather than you know sitting here at a job and to have things. Right. Um, it's just a different mentality. Um, and I think I've, I've experienced a lot of things as well uh, through that and it's motivated me to explore even more. So.
1: Wow. Tell me a little bit more about your setup. So I, I'm super intrigued by this for a couple of reasons. One, it's just like, man, what a, what a, what a countercultural thing to do, right? Like to, to make that kind of a move. And and then the other piece is I'm going to be hitting a couple of different States this fall. I'll be hunting in more States than I ever have before previously. And I plan to spend a fair amount of time sleeping in my vehicle. So I don't necessarily need a setup. That's like up to par with, with what you've got going on. But I am curious about like the plans, how you came up with the plan for it. And like, what, what, what kind of vehicle do you even have?
0: So I have a, uh, 2006, f-150 uh it's a super it's their their crew cab right they they call it the super crew unfortunately when i bought the truck i did not really originally intend to do this um but it's what i had so i technically only have a five and a half foot bed um and i'm a six foot tall guy so i gotta accomplish the sleeping arrangements right but i make it work um so Let's, uh, let's start in the front of the truck, everything up front, you know, motor engine wise, pretty standard. Um, I have the still obviously have the two driver and passenger seat in, uh, but I ripped out the whole back seat, made a custom platform back there that houses on the passenger side houses my, basically my wardrobe, um, and like toiletry stuff, clothes, there's a hanging rack in there. It houses all of that stuff. Sometimes it gets a little bit of miscellaneous stuff in there cause it's kind of a catch all. In the center, there is a high-efficiency fridge freezer, uh, an Iceco. There, you can get other brands too: Dometic, Iceco, A.R.E. makes them. Um, but yeah, it's a dual-zone fridge freezer. It's designed for, for for truck camping, for camping, overlanding type things. It um, it runs off an auxiliary set of batteries. I have, um, but yeah, you can you can have a freezer on one side and a fridge on the other, or you can have it both as a fridge. So it allows me to bring a lot of like wild game along, and I can eat just strictly what I have with me. Obviously, if I get game on the road, I can freeze it and bring it with me as well. Uh, so it's it's really a handy device. And then behind the driver's seat is simply uh, open space. I usually put, I have a custom box for all my cap, camera gear uh, that I put all there. And then I kind of, I have a slide out table that comes outside my door. And that is where I cook. I have a custom door panel on my um rear driver's side door that's it's got a rack with all these spices and uh olive oil and salt and pepper and um all of my standard cooking utensils. And then underneath that platform I built it specifically so underneath I can fit my bow case, a shotgun, uh, my two seventy rifle and a seventeen HMR rifle. Um, so it's it's pretty everything works in there pretty well. It's uh, it's designed specifically for this. And then if you go into the back of the truck, I have a um I actually have a, a it's similar to like a deck system, but it's actually a new company out of Wisconsin called Total Access Truck Bed Systems. It's two veterans, they started the company, and they're just getting things off the ground, but it's a drawer system. Um, That allows you to have access not only to the drawers, but then to the side wells next to your wheel wells as well. So I have anything from my cooking gear to ammo to um, tools in there, uh, recovery gear. And then I have a custom compartment in the front of that box that's built for my batteries. I run 210 amp hour AGM batteries and a uh, thousand watt inverter. And that runs to a couple custom, um, outlets that I have throughout the truck. So yeah, it's, it's pretty much a full fledged setup in the, uh, I sleep in the, in the box, uh, on an angle on a six inch memory foam pad. I just bought a three inch memory foam pad for like a queen bed, cut it in half. And now I'm sleeping on six inches. It's super comfy and sleep usually under a sleeping bag, have the windows open. And even in like the cold weather, you're pretty, you're pretty warm in there. So
1: Man, that sounds like a like a super sweet setup. How did how did you come up with the the design for this? Was this just you know you're kind of you know um, mechanically inclined, and so you're like, man, I'm just going to do this myself? Or did you have like schematics offline that you're kind of basing it on?
0: Uh, you know, I I watched a lot. Being like somebody who create videos for youtube i also like watching videos on youtube uh so i watched a lot of youtube stuff for people who did more of the overlanding stuff right just like off-roading and camping on their trucks uh so there's a lot of videos out there like that and i just kind of piecemealed ideas and you know thought about it probably spent more time thinking about that than being productive at work for the last uh <laughs> year <and laughs> before i uh finished the truck but yeah i just it was all just ideas I had wrote some stuff down on paper and you know, I'm pretty, like I said, so I do some carpentry work on the side. I grew up building some houses in college, so pretty handy with tools and wood and stuff. So yeah, I just, uh, I tried and played and most of my ideas worked right out the gate. So I'm really thankful it all came together, but yeah, just, just did it. Just, that's my one thing to, if anybody gets anything out of this podcast, just get out there and do it, give it a try, right? You, the worst thing you do is fail, but you know, unless you get out there and try, it's, uh, it's hard to get out there and try something new.
1: Yeah, man. So for, for a guy like me, that's saying, Hey, you know, for this year, I'm going to, I'm going to give this a shot for the first time, really sleeping out of my vehicle, which I've got an SUV. So uh, things will be a little bit different, but like, what would you say is something that like surprised you, or you wish you'd thought about, or uh, you know something that's like, hey man, whatever you buy, whatever your budget is, you have to have this thing, or you're going to be miserable.
0: Uh, I, I think sleeping comfortably, right, is a major thing. Yep. yep. Um, you're not if you're not doing that, you're obviously your hunts are going to be crappy. You're going to be in a bad mood. You know, for you sleeping out of an SUV, they make some great like you know sleeping pad, sleeping systems where you can get pretty cozy, right? Like I said too, even memory foam works great. You can customize something there, lay down your seats, whatever. But you know, I'm, I can't say there's anything I really like missed out on. I I was lacking in the battery department for a while. I even with those two batteries, I uh, I had a solar panel that wasn't keeping up to my consumption. And then recently I just installed a battery isolator switch. So it allows you to charge any auxiliary batteries off of your alternator. Once your normal battery reaches 13 volts or whatever it is, it says it's charged and then it allows the switch to automatically open and charge an auxiliary battery off your alternator, right? If you're driving three, four hours, you're going to of charge off that battery. Um, I didn't have that last year and I really struggled to keep my fridge freezer running. And we were really trying to bank on eating efficiently and eating what you have and keeping that cold, especially when it's wild game that we've put effort into to procure. You really don't want it to go bad. And I really kind of struggled with that towards the end of the season, Um, Mm. having to be out hunting and trying to be in the mountains and camping and then not being by a power source. So I would say that's something you know, if you have a little camper, you have a little truck that you want to, you know, do this out of and do a little truck camp and do a little van camp and whatever, a simple auxiliary battery and a battery isolator switch, and you can charge off your alternator while you're driving around. It's a, it's a lifesaver.
1: Yeah. And I think your, your power demands with, with camera gear and all that kind of stuff are probably a little higher than, than the normal guy. And, you know, I'm thinking about being on the road too. And it's like, you know, not only am I going to have camera gear, I'm going to have podcasting gear that I'm, Hopefully, going to be able to still uh, put into use because I, I doubt I'm going to be disciplined enough to bank a bunch of episodes uh, ahead of time. So, um, yeah, man, so that power piece was one that I was uh, that I was really wondering about. So, a, a, an isolator switch, okay?
0: Yeah, you can. I mean, literally, you can buy a kit off Amazon, sixty bucks, includes like twenty five feet of wire. You can run it to whatever auxiliary battery you have and I only have AGM batteries because they have to be on their side in order to fit into my, they have to be laying down on their side to fit under my, uh, uh, in my drawer system. So it's kind of integrated, right? Maximizing all the space I have. Yep. Uh, you can get away with just a simple deep cycle battery, obviously, or even a car battery, but yeah, like having that power source really helps. Um, you know, if you run out of batteries, right. I mean, even in the winter, I, I charge all my ice fishing stuff. You know, I run a pan optics. I got to charge that every night, charge camera gear, you know, just it's, it, there's a huge power supply with all the electronics that everybody runs in all days with the hunting and fishing industry. And, um, not to mention filming and everything else on top of it. So yeah, just having a, a good battery supply is, is a huge critical thing. If you don't want to be going to a campsite and plugging in every night or trying to, Sometimes you gotta poach power if you're on the road, so <laughs>
1: <laughs> Man, I've I've been there. I was recently uh moving a freezer and it was full it was full of meat and I had a long way to go. And we pull up to this hotel and I like run an extension cord over to the hotel to yep. charge it throughout the night. And I'm like, I go so I go to the front desk and I'm like, Hey, is that okay? And she was like, I don't think so, but you didn't tell me about it. It's like, oh, all right. This—that's what we're doing. Sweet, let's roll. I Wouldn't feel bad about that. Like we do it. We do it all the time. Like for
0: fishing tournaments. Oh, nice. I mean, okay. plug their boats in. I wouldn't feel bad about that. Nice. I mean, there was a hotel. There was a hotel uh, when I was in Montana that they had. Uh, they had a hot springs, and I was I elk hunted for forty-five days in Montana this last year because I was unsuccessful. But um, yeah, was suffering from these these battery issues and not being able to keep up and. Um, they they allow you to swim ten bucks in the hot springs. So I'd go there. You know, I'd drive to town at night after hunting. I'd sit in the hot springs for ten bucks. I'd park in the parking lot and I'd plug in my truck to their little pedestal and I'd sleep in my truck. They never said a thing. Campers did it, and I think it was like they just wanted people to come to the hot springs. So I don't know. Sometimes sometimes it's don't ask don't tell. <laughs> yeah,
1: <laughs> that's right. That's right. Well, so are you doing anything to stay warm in the truck? I mean obviously you probably have a sleeping bag and that kind of thing, but like, are you running any kind of heater or anything like that? Or are you just kind of embracing it?
0: I do not run a heater. I run. So typically, so in, I have, I do change my setup a little bit in winter when I'm like ice fishing. That's my primary thing in the winter when I'm ice fishing. Um, I spend a lot of time up on Lake Superior or whatever. So typically what I do, because I have a flip over shanty, all of that goes in the bed of the truck. So I can't sleep back there anymore. So what I do is I actually take out the fridge freezer because it's winter and I can keep things, you know, I usually run a lot of like frozen food and not so much wild game, but simple meals I can make on my heater in the ice shanty. Um, I usually run that. So I just run a cooler in the back and then I actually sleep on that back platform uh, inside the cab, run the truck for maybe an hour when you're getting in. That warms it up, and then I run a sleeping pad, insulated sleeping pad, same one I use in the mountains when I'm hunting. I think that was like an R value of like two, and then I run um, a blanket on top of that, and then a sleeping bag, my uh, backcountry sleeping bag, and then just a sleeping bag over the top of my backcountry sleeping bag. And to be honest, I mean you keep your head inside there you're wearing sweatpants or long johns or whatever. It's pretty comfy. I, I don't have a problem with it so I don't usually run the heat. I don't have an auxiliary heater. Um, just something I'm used to.
1: Man yeah that that's that's one of the pieces that has made me kind of concerned for for the fall and you know granted I'm a I'm a, I'm a transplant to Wisconsin right like I've been been here for for two and a half years and so the cold like that kind of cold is, is a pretty new thing to me that I didn't experience a lot growing up. So I'm like, man, yeah. how the heck am I gonna stay warm? But uh, yeah, I guess it works.
0: Yeah, yeah, just man, layers and yeah, I use I use like I said, my backcountry skin bag and my one on I throw on top is just one of those old Coleman flannel lined sleeping bags. You know, you're just you're trapped in that heat and you know, obviously. The cab gets a little moisture in it. Uh, You know, the windows are usually frosted up from the inside from your breath. But really, uh, it's not too bad once you have a couple layers and, uh, you know, blankets or sleeping bags, whatever you need. So Nice.
1: Nice. Well, man, you know, I I knew I was going to be kind of all over the place because there were like 100 things I wanted to talk to you about. And then you (laughs) added another one with your recent Instagram post and talking about Alaska. So it's like, okay, we got a lot to get to. Um, but what I, what I really wanted to talk to you about though, is smallie fishing. So I had Matt Stryme from weather Oaks game calls on and, uh, we were talking and I was just kind of saying like, Matt, I, man, I'd love to talk about smallie fishing. This is something that's kind of new to me and, uh, I want to get somebody on to talk about it, but I had been reaching out to different guides and stuff. And man, I just, I was getting crickets. Like you think it's hard to line up guests for a podcast in like the hunting world, dude, the, the smallmouth guides in Wisconsin are tight lipped. Yeah, uh, is it is that just a pretty secretive space, man?
0: Yeah, it, it can be honestly. Um, you know, between, I mean, we're blessed here with some epic smallmouth fishing, especially on the Bay of Green Bay, which is where a lot of my experience comes from. But yeah, we're just—it's a really nuanced fishery in general, or or fish in general, and you know, it takes those fish a long time to get super big, so people are people are always really leery to, to, to chat about it. Um, you know, especially the guides, you know, I've, I've even done that in my realm, you know, try to get some information out of them in any way, shape or form and you don't even get a response. So yeah, I know where you're coming from, but we're, we're blessed to have a great fishery. And I think that's why everybody's, you know, so type lipped about it often.
1: Yeah, sure. And, and I, you know, I get it. I do. Um, but I was talking to Matt about it and he was like, dude, you need to have Adam on. And that was like the third time he had recommended that I have you on the show. And so I was like, all right, fine. I'll, I'll have Adam on. Uh, but he, he, man, he, he was like, dude, Adam is a Smalley slayer. He stacks them up. So I've got some pretty high expectations here.
0: <laughs> I like big smallies. They're, they're, something that really, um, I don't know. It's just a passion for me. Uh, they, I, I grew up in Manitowoc, Wisconsin and i wasn't a huge bass fisherman um until i started this internship uh i think i was like middle of early high school and uh my boss is actually a really big 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 fisherman and he grew up a little bit closer to the bay of green bay than me so i started fishing with him and thankful i did because i learned a lot from doing it um you know they're just uh they're, they're a crazy fish in the sense of they're very finicky, but at the same point, when they want to eat, there's no stopping them. Um, it's just insane. You know, if you if you find the, the right thing they want to be on and, and in the right situation, you can literally stack them up nonstop. Um, you know, you talked about a lot of small fishermen. They would rather fish in the crappiest conditions out there. Windblown shores, super high winds because those fish, you know, especially typically smallmouth, they're on a a, more of a clear body of water. And once you get windy, once the weather gets nasty, they can't see as good. And they just, they they see and feel something go past them and they'll just eat. They are a wolf pack. They like to eat and it turns into a fun, fun time.
1: Hey guys, just want to take a quick minute to let you know that the Wisconsin Sportsman Podcast is brought to you by Tacticam, makers of the best action cameras on the market for the hunter and angler. They're on the cutting edge, making user-friendly cameras to help the everyday outdoorsman share your hunt with friends and loved ones. They also just launched the Reveal X Gen 2 cell camera that provides top-notch photo and video quality at a price point that's in reach for the everyday outdoorsman. And one area Tacticam really shines is with their mounts and adapters that are made with the sportsman in mind. If you've tried to film your hunting and fishing excursions, you know how frustrating it can be to try to get an action camera aimed just right or get it attached to your weapon or in a good spot for a second angle. Well, Tacticam makes all of that a breeze with their line of accessories. This fall, I'll be using their stabilizer mount on my bow with the 5.0 camera and their bendy clamp paired with the 5.0 wide camera for a second angle and to make sure that I don't miss any of the action. To learn more and check out their full line of products, head over to their website, www.tacticam.com. Share your hunt with Tacticam. This episode is also brought to you by DeerLab, the number one trail camera app for hunters and land managers. DeerLab gives you a simple way to store, organize, and analyze all of your trail camera data. DeerLab has tons of great features like the ability to Filter photos based on what's in them, like deer or turkeys or people. It syncs your photos with local weather to help you pattern your target. And you can even mass edit your timestamps if you're a goober like me and uh, you forget to set the correct time on your camera. Head over to DeerLab.com to check them out. You can use the code Wisconsin at checkout for 20% off of any plan. That's 20% off of any plan. Just use the code Wisconsin. Now let's get back to the show. And a lot of the like reading and stuff that I've done, uh, it seems like a common thing that keeps coming up is like they can be really hard to find, but they can be really easy to catch. Yeah, like you may be on yeah. a body of water and have a really tough time getting into them, but once you do, you're on them.
0: Yeah. Yeah, you, you know you. So I have I have some experience doing some tournament fishing. Um, used to fish a circuit out of South uh, East Wisconsin primarily, but we ventured all over. Um, I I actually started. I went to MSOE, like I said, and I actually started the fishing team at MSU, and uh, met all of my really good college buddies through the fishing team and one of them I still fish tournaments with and uh, learned a lot from each other. And smallie fishing is one of our passions. Um, and I think he's far exceeded me on, on this. You know, he's just, he's a, he's a his game and I'm just too, too spread out. But yeah, they, they can be super hard to find at times. What you think where you think they're gonna be, um it it just it takes time behind your electronics. It takes time poking and prodding. You know, in the in the super warm months they go deep. In fall typically they're gonna come a little shallower and you can usually catch them um in between that transition, right? Your standard your standard fishing right is spring they're coming up to the shallows to spawn. You want to catch them where they're staging to spawn at or where they're spawning at and then obviously there's going to be waves of them coming up for example on the bay of green bay i've caught them on beds opening weekend when it's super cold well when we used to have an opening weekend which was the first saturday in may now bass fishing is open all year but used to catch them opening weekend on beds and i've caught fish on beds all the way through fourth of july weekend so you're literally talking two full months of spawning fish on the Bay of Green Bay, which is insane. Um, but you can catch them however you want in between there.
1: Wow. How does that compare to other fisheries? Like as far as when the fish are spawning? It's typically, it's a a lot more narrow of a window,
0: uh, go to an inland lake somewhere. And that window is going to go to maybe two or three weeks. Um, you know, if it's, if things are heating up really, really quick, it's a warm spring. I mean, you might, you might go in a week and a half. Um, you just, you never know. Uh, but up there, those fish come from so far and they come from the depths. And I think a lot of thing a lot of thing plays into it is I'm always somebody to check the bank. I will, I will always check the bank no matter how cold it is, because there are fish, I feel there are fish that always spawn at the same time. They're like deer, right? They run at the same time. These fish spawn at the same time. And the thing is, because where a lot of these fish spawn, they're spawning in cuts and shallower water that are warmer. And everybody thinks, well, this is the main lake, right? This is Lake Michigan. This is the main lake. And it is 48 degrees. Well, these fish know that the water back in this cut is 52 degrees, 53 degrees, 55 degrees. And they're going to go there and they're going to do their business and they're going to get out of town before anybody ever finds them. And typically a lot of your bigger fish spawn pretty quick and right away. And they don't give you much time to catch up.
1: Hmm. Man. All right. So there's, there's so much here. So <laughs> you're, you're talking. All right. So you've got, you know, spring into early summer, you're kind of catching these spawning fish as you get further away from that. Uh, How do your fishing tactics change? Like, what are you looking for at that point?
0: Isolated deep structure primarily. Um, You know, spend a lot of time on the graph, a lot of time on the electronics, just trying to figure out where you're finding these pods of fish. These fish school up hardcore, you know, late summer into late summer, they're schooling up. They're, they are, you know, you'll, you might pull up on a school and, I mean, for example, we were up there for a tournament one year and ended up winning it. And we literally caught all our fish out of one school, and I mean, probably caught fifty fish out of the school. Wow! I mean, it was just, um, but it's isolated structure, and it's just a little nuances. Honestly, uh, you know, it might be nothing, and then you go a little farther, and there's just a weird clump of rocks. Uh, it it gets tough up there because there's it's it has had so much pressure lately. Um, so just, you know, you might, if you go up there for a weekend, you might have to sacrifice some more and just kind of fooling around and finding some deeper water. And I'm talking 25, 30 feet deep. Um, trying to just figure out where you can find some fish. A big tactic I use, uh, is drop shotting. It's, it's one of my favorite tactics. It's something I've come to love and caught a lot of great fish on it. Um, Throw a drop shot down there, see if those fish will bite. You know, if they're if they're down there and they're schooled up, and you throw something that, that mimics a goby or mimics a perch um, on a drop shot, you nine times out of ten they're they're probably one of them is going to snap and prove to you that it's a fish or not. Not seeing there aren't fish a little shallower in ten to fifteen foot. Um, it's just they're they're harder to come by, and they they've seen a lot of action. Um, but it's
1: yeah. Man, Spend so, time on his- it. Yeah. When, when you find them, are you finding them like mixed in with other species as well? Or are you just going to get into, into smallmouth and, and not catch much of anything else?
0: In the spring, you'll find them mixed in. Got a lot of big walleye, small wall fishing. Um, okay. A lot of big walleye, small wall fishing, like our biggest wall ever caused 32 when I was throwing a bass bait. Um, but, once it gets later in the season, uh, you're, you'll find them pretty much isolated. You might find some sporadic, uh, like big perch mixed in there. Uh, but typically it's just going to be those smallies.
1: Okay. What, what kind of baits are you throwing for them then? So, uh, we kind of know where to go. Uh, what are you, what are you throwing at them?
0: It really depends on the body of water, but you know, if you're on the Bay of Green Bay and you're fishing them, um, you want to mimic a goby you want to mimic small bait fish that's typically what's going to do it for them you know a goby is it's a fish it's an invasive species but it's the primary reason the smallies have been able to get so big right same reason that people are weighing in seven and eight pounders in tournaments um is because they have a huge forage source in the goby that they they rely on and the reason that is is gobies can't they don't have a swim bladder, so they are pretty much stuck on the bottom. Um, they might be able to come up a little bit. So you throwing that that drop shot on like a 10, 12, 14 inch leader. Um, for those who don't know, a drop shot, your weight's on the bottom, your hooks up higher. Tie um, high knot so you can get that tagline long there. Typically, that tie a polymer knot, and then you're you're fishing it on eight sometimes six if they're super finicky, but on a lighter rod. So you can feel those taps. It is a premise that was designed to fish vertically, but typically we cast them out and kind of work them back to you. Um, Yeah. Just uh, throw that out there, mimic Adobe and those fish will typically work. Uh, You know, if you're fishing other bodies of water, throw a lot of Carolina rigs, uh, tubes, tubes work awesome. uh, Once you find those isolated schools and I like, Carolina rigs great. Uh, a lot of people don't think about throwing it around here, but it's, a, it's more of a Southern thing, but a Carolina rig works great just because you can feel what kind of consistency the bottom is, what kind of rocks you have. You know, we always say, Oh, it feels grabby and when it feels grabby, there's usually big fish around. So,
1: man. So how does this, how do your, I guess, tactics or thinking about fishing for smallies differ when you're fishing, let's say a river, as opposed to, you know, the Bay of green Bay
0: top water, top water. Smallies, love, smallies love top water, you know, fish on the Mississippi river. You can get those schools in the morning, um, throughout the summer hammering top water, whether that's a walking bait. Uh, I've seen any frogs, um, hoppers, whatever it may be. I, you know, typically when I go out, um, On the Mississippi River fishing for Largies or smallies I will be fishing a Walking style bait like a spook I will be fishing a frog I will be fishing some type of buzz bait Style bait and then I will be Fishing a swim jig And that's pretty much my go to's Until I really Unless something really changes but you will catch smallies On those baits and you will catch Largies on those baits I'm not saying the bottom Baits don't play into it But Top water works amazing um, on river systems for smallies.
1: Now is that top water game going to be hot in the spring and in towards the fall as well, or is that pretty much pretty much a summertime show?
0: I would say you get into that late May, early June, all the way through fall. I would suggest having a top water on and maybe a swim bait. You know, depending on what river system you're on. I've been on the Flambeau. Um, fishing out of a canoe and that was just a real small swim bait, maybe a three inch swim bait, um, catching really good smallies off that. You just kind of got to judge if it's a, if you think it's a, you think there's some big fish, you know, maybe throw a three, four inch swim bait, um, or a bigger top water. But, you know, if you're talking a quality fishery, like, um, Mississippi river, throw, throw something a little bigger.
1: Okay. All right. So last question on this smallmouth topic. And, uh, you know, one that's really important to me, when are we going? Whenever you want, man. <laughs> I suggest I suggest spring. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. Sweet. Well here's I the love, here's I the problem love, though that interferes with my turkey hunting, man.
0: Well, we can uh hopefully you'll stick one and then uh yeah, you can come out. Perfect. But Perfect. like I said, May June is it's a great time. Um, you know, I uh It's it's something I really love introducing people to. Um, You know, like like you said, started off the conversation. It is is tough, right? You, you, it's just people are tight lipped about it. But I like bringing people in the boat and having them experience it and just realizing the quality of fish that we have, right? I've seen. I took a kid out this year, and um, I mean, he caught his like three biggest smallies in like the first ten casts. Um, Just. Just amazing. It's it's fun and I like showing people it. So yeah, if uh you got some time next May, we'll uh we'll run my boat up to Sturgeon Bay and we can make something happen.
1: Dude, that'd be sweet, man. You know, it's almost embarrassing. Like like I said, I've lived in Wisconsin two and a half years and I have yet to intentionally target smallmouth. Like if I'm gonna go fishing, I usually end up somewhere in southwestern Wisconsin chasing trout around and that kind of thing. And there's nothing
0: uh, wrong with that. I uh I was always a big bass fisherman, always, always. And I lived in Southwest Wisconsin and actually my, my girlfriend at the time got me into trial fishing and I've, I've fallen in love with that. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's nothing wrong with, with just getting out there and uh, whatever, it, whatever it gets you see outside. Right.
1: Yeah. I just I just don't want to have such bad tunnel vision. You know what I mean? Like, like, I feel like, you know, before my tunnel vision has been devoted to, to white tails and I can't see anything else and then now in the fishing realm it's been trout and i can't see anything else i'm like dude i need to diversify like i need i need to expand my horizons a bit and uh yeah get after that's some a, of these smallies
0: that's a blessing that having free prowl has has made me do is is diversify for sure i used to be very one track mind um was not a it was it was bass fishing and it was white tail hunting and in the summer or in the winter it was snowmobiling and now now I'm the one of the most diehard ice fishermen out there and I'll fish for whatever and just to experience it and hunting wise is I I love hunting out west, right? And, and that's like like I said earlier, the biggest thing is just you wanna go do something, get out there, set, you know. This this kind of plays back into hunting out west, but and I've said this on a lot of podcasts is you wanna you wanna go do something, whatever it might be, a big trout trip, trying something new going hunting out west set a date with your buddies the ones that you would be going on this trip with and just say hey two years get your shit together grab your gear spend the money you have to do get in shape whatever it may be buy your tags get your points whatever it may be you have two years to do it we're gone it's just going to put people's feet to the fire because if you keep putting it off and nobody really has a you know a set date it just gets it gets pushed down and it's gets harder every year you don't do something it gets harder and harder to get out there and do it
1: yeah, man. Do, do you still make it back to Wisconsin for uh, for whitetails?
0: I do. Um, last year, I did a little bull hunting in southwest Wisconsin and kind of hit the, the tail end of the rut after Colorado um, second rifle season and then uh, try and make it to, to deer camp. Um, we have a deer camp up in Price County. Try and make it up there for gun season and then uh, if, if things are going well, um, do a little bit of late season hunting as well uh it, it it is tough to to miss the rut um i always had really good experiences in the rut hunting western wisconsin and the bluffs but i don't know it's it's something i feel like i can do for a long time the whole western hunting thing is it's getting harder and harder and it only gets harder as you get older too so
1: yeah yeah man that you know i was talking to somebody the other day and they they basically said exactly that like your body only has so many elk seasons and I feel like whitetail hunting is, is a lot more accessible, but, but I mean, with the point creep that's been going on over the last several years and with the interest in Western hunting going up and with access, you know, n- not keeping up with demand. Um, yeah, it's going to get tougher and tougher. And so yeah. if you don't get out there and take advantage of it now, uh, who knows what the situation is going to look like in 10 years.
0: Oh, the situation and, in- And it's, it's a learning curve, you know, that's, that's one of the biggest things, you know, it's, it's going to be tough to go out there your first year as a group, you know, success rates and good success rates in a zone for mule deer or elk are 20, 25%, maybe 30. You take your group of four, you, everybody better know that more than likely three of those people are going to eat a tag. Mm. It's just, it's a, it's a it's a buying your time game. It's learning, learning. If you want to do it DIY, it's learning everything, you know, everything looks different on a map. And once you get in there and elevations and knowing how much gear you need to take and everything like that, it just, it takes time to learn it. And unless, like, like I said, unless you do it now, it's, it only gets harder.
1: Yeah. And I, you know, I've heard other people talk about this a lot. Um, you know, do you really want your, uh, you know, cause a lot of guys are like, Hey, I've, I've got that dream tag that I'm applying for. And it might take me six years to get it or eight years to get it or what, or whatever the case may be. And I heard somebody say on a podcast once, like, do you really want your very first time learning to hunt elk when you have that dream tag in your pocket?
0: I'd say no, <laughs> you know,
1: like, like you really want to, you really want to get out there have the experience, learn in an over the counter unit in Colorado. Like, will you kill something? Probably not. But, you're going to learn a lot you know oh,
0: so much i mean just just what these animals do and how they relate to landscapes and how they use public versus private and why they use public versus private it's there's just so much that goes into it i mean like i said last year i went into it completely blind camera in one hand bow in the other and trying to do a cell film let's make this happen I'm hunting with some buddies a little bit in montana but i spent 45 days on elk and i ate my wow. montana tag but i'm not saying i wasn't i wasn't in the hunt the whole time but i was thankful to have some on the ground experience and info from some buddies who had hunted there before and just like things started to click towards the end and um you know, if anybody wants to check it that out, that's all on my YouTube channel from last year, kind of the, the whole hunt, um, all the ups and downs and experiences. And it's just, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I I'm not surprised in didn't fill a tag. Um, even I even hunted some of the rifle stuff, but it is what it is. I, I wish I could have drawn a tag in that same area this year uh, and got some redemption. I feel like I, I could do a lot different, but because of the new Montana system, and the ability to apply for two bonus points through a guide and only getting one bonus point. If you apply DIY, it totally, you know, changed the dynamics of, you know, they're uh, not so much over the counter, but they're, you had a, basically every other year, you could have got a, um, an elk combo tag in some of the general general seasons. Um, that's, that's probably out the window right now. So,
1: man, did you get close last year?
0: yeah yeah I was I was real close um had some great opportunities um I probably closer than I should have been talking into the camera and should have picked up my bowl but yeah that's the way it goes when you're kind of dedicated to telling the story but uh yeah I had some close opportunities um closer with the bowl I couldn't I couldn't get quite close enough with the rifle I got within 700 yards of a really nice bowl, but um just couldn't close the distance and ran out of cover. And, but overall, I mean, I I saw some amazing bulls, you know, just had a blast.
1: Man. Well, speaking of, speaking of dream hunts, I want to circle kind of all the way back to some, some of the things we talked about at the very beginning, this, this trip to Alaska that you're going on. And you said, you're going to go caribou hunt while you're there. Uh, Man, caribou hunting is like, that is my bucket list item. Like, yeah, I want to chase elk one day. Yeah, I'd love to chase a moose one day. But like caribou is my thing because I grew up kind of watching that, like on the outdoor channel or whatever. And it just seemed like a such a, a I don't know, just a, such an extreme epic kind of adventure, especially the ones where they, you know, they fly you in and they drop you off and they're like, all right, see you in two weeks. Um, yep. And so, man, that's always been, you know, just something that I want to do how has the preparation looked for you? Like, how do you even start to figure out what you need to get as far as tags go?
0: So tags for caribou tags are actually over the counter. Um, no, they kidding. are. Yep. Yep. It's, uh, I actually have the last pulled up right now. Um, like $630. Dude,
1: that's per, not bad.
0: Yeah. it's It's not bad at all. Um, so pick it up over the counter and that allows you, um, to shoot one. You can shoot it with a gun or a bow. Uh, we're going to, I will have a rifle with me. Um, my buddy's going to just have his bow. I'll have a bow too, but, um, going to primarily go with the bows and can't make it happen towards the end. Might have to pull the rifles, but he's been able, I am thankful to have him. Um, he's done this hunt like 10, 15 years ago when he was in college and, had success on it you know he said it was eight to ten failed stocks and then he was finally able to do it a lot of uh this is a different hunt uh we're going basically all the way up to prudel bay um and taking some offshoots out of there but spending a lot of time just driving around glassing living out of the truck staying by the truck and then just kind of moving around finding the herds and making stuff happen there's there's other types of hunts you can do right um you can do the flying stuff you can do the brush range stuff um spend night you know spend uh time hiking in setting camp and then going out from there um but it's such an expansive area up there that you can kind of do it however you want um as far as getting ready you know i i'm thankful i was actually talking to him about this the other day he was getting mad at me because I just, I'm so busy trying to wrap up this remodel job before I leave, um, making that extra money, uh, for, for fuel, fuel money. Um, <laughs> you need it that, that, uh, I just hadn't talked to him a lot about getting ready. And, but the thankful thing is it's, it's the same stuff you need for elk hunting, you know, minus the bugle tube. to, you need good boots and a pack and, you know, your right layers. And, um, yeah, just your standard water filtration stuff and, and that maybe an extra release um but it's really it's once you kind of have one of these like western hunts um or more remote backcountry hunts like you have the gear for it you can apply it wherever you can apply it to whatever kind of species you're doing there might be a couple little nuances you need here um you know like a bugle tube or a cow call or something like that. But overall it's the same boots. It's the same pants. It's the same shirt. It's the same layers. And you just fill your pack with your gear and you go,
1: man. What are the success rates like, uh, you know, around where you're going?
0: I can't answer that question. I haven't looked that far.
1: Okay. All right.
0: (laughs) No, um, I'm sure I can figure it out real quick here. Um, but I'm, really I mean I go on these hunts with buddies is it's a huge thing for me you know having the video I just want to film an epic adventure really yeah um you know I've I've accepted the fact that I might fail um not saying I don't work my butt off um but it's just it's part of it right you, you just if, if you give an honest effort and you work your tail off and you're tired at the end of the day, and all you want to do is make your meal and go to bed and wake up and do it the next day. You're, you're living it and you're doing it. Um, and that's more than a lot of people can say.
1: Man, very cool. I, I had no clue. Those were, those tags were over the counter. Uh, it shows you just how much, uh, looking into that I've actually done, but I've dreamed of it a lot. Um, so now it, I, have to... it's
0: a thing. I think a lot of people don't realize in general, right? Um, you know, a lot of these hunts are really doable, you know? Um, so, okay. So right now you can get, uh, you can get a flight out of Minneapolis on Alaska airlines. Um, this was pretty, pretty standard throughout. You get like a $700 flight, you're gonna pay a little bit extra to, you know, pack your, um, or your baggage stuff as far as a bow and everything else. But if you're going pretty standard, you can, you can do that. It's a, you know, mid $600 tag, and then really you got a rental and a vehicle a rental vehicle and fuel to get up there. Um, food, you know, food and, and ice and, and whatever, but it's all doable. And I think, you know, a lot of people see it from the, from the guides standpoint and, um, you know, the fly ins and everything else and all these guys want huge money, but get your boots on the ground and go do it. It's, you can do it pretty efficiently. man.
1: Alright, now I'm jacked up. I gotta go research this. This has gotta happen. Uh, gotta happen for me soon. But Adam, thanks for coming on the show, man. Where can folks go uh, to find more from you, both your videos as well as some of the some of the merchandise you sell?
0: So, you can find us on all the general um, social media platforms. YouTube, lots of videos, lots of adventures out there. Like I said, everything from the elk hunt last year is on there. Um, a lot a lot of the truck stuff as well um, Instagram Facebook and then recently probably in the last couple months TikTok um, as well so whatever your your social media platform is that's where we're at and then as well we do have a website and it is prowlcom you can find all the merchandise hats hoodies um, t-shirts sell some of maps um, whether calls on there, um, stickers, whatever you're into, we got her on there and, uh, appreciate everybody's support. Just checking out the website, let alone if you make a purchase that goes a long way. So thank you.
1: Excellent, man. Well, let's, uh, let's plan to connect again after you return from, uh, from your trip to Alaska. Cause I want to hear how it went.
0: I would love to do that. Yeah. We will definitely, uh, meet back up and, uh, we can chat Alaska stories.
1: Sweet. Sounds good, buddy. Well, have a good evening. Yep. Thank you.